Sunday blessings to you all. This is the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection that commences a new week and offers a new opportunity to be drawn by grace more deeply into the paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension and be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Guiding us this Sunday in opening the Word of God is a new voice, Hilary, the saintly Bishop of Poitiers in central western France. Some scholars note St. Hilary's quiet and modest character, a conclusion they reach due to the lack of substantial biographical information in Hilary's theological and literary works. Historians tend to date his birth in the early part of the 4th century, and apparently he grew up in a non-Christian family, was economically comfortable in his youth, which also afforded him access to a very good education, especially in the fields of literature and writing. Writing many years later in the introduction to his work De Trinitate on the Trinity, Hillary sensed at a young age the emptiness of pleasure and the intellectual frustration of philosophical disputes. He found in Christianity a wisdom expressed in sacred scripture that provided a path for a deep and meaningful way of living. In time, he was eventually chosen to shepherd the Christian community in Poitiers as a bishop around the year 350. He was an acknowledged pastor and gifted preacher, as well as exegete of sacred scripture. In time, however, Hilary became embroiled in the Arian disputes of the 4th century concerning the divinity and humanity of Jesus. Hilary firmly held the creed of Nicaea, which professed Jesus as one divine person with two distinct, unmixed, and unconfused natures or ways of acting. The emperor, however, did not accept the creed of Nicaea and sided with the various strains of Arianism that essentially denied the divinity of Jesus Christ. Hilary was consequently banished by the emperor to Asia for approximately four years. Ironically, his eastern exile gave him, a western thinker, direct contact with the origin 
the method and the worldview from which the Aryan controversy was born. This shaped Hillary's approach to these Christological disputes and how best to present the Orthodox faith articulated at Nicaea. When the emperor died, Hillary's exile came to an end and he returned to Poitiers where he continued his notable ministry as a pastor and bishop. During this post-exile era of his life, he penned On the Trinity, which many scholars contend is close to or being on a par with St. Augustine's work of the same title. In Hillary's work, one can easily see the influence of his Eastern exile. He knew the vocabulary, rationale, and methods of his Eastern opponents and was able to effectively present a work and a teaching whose insights effectively kept Arianism at bay in Western Christianity. On this Sunday, we listen to an excerpt from his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. The section dealing with this Sunday's proclamation that records Jesus' parable of the two sons in the vineyard. As is custom, uh, a link appears in the podcast description linking an article at my blog on this Sunday's parable as well. And now, an excerpt from St. Hilary of Poitiers' commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. A certain man had two sons, and the rest. There are many important facts that can confound our understanding unless we observe an order of what comes first and that which follows. For who can comprehend why the older son refused to go to work but later changed his mind in repentance and went forth into the vineyard? And still Israel did not repent, but brought its hands against the Lord, and with unholy words altogether crucified its God. What shall we think of the younger son, who promised to go but did not? And yet, the people of the pagans and sinners brought to fulfillment what was promised, for they went out and went to work, to which they were called. How should we think about those who did not go? Next, it is necessary to ask what the importance of the Pharisees' response was. They said that the younger son had complied with the will of his father. The reason for their response is not clarified, such that a feigned agreement could be regarded as a profession of the whole truth. It would be better to betray a promise made rather than to fulfill all the terms without a promise. For who does not prefer to deny himself of what he asks for, especially if he is going to receive it? 
it is better than when what was promised is not given. We are grateful when a deed is realized in desperation, whereas we are sorrowful when hope has been lost. Unless, perhaps, the purpose of the one asking is satisfied by the flattery of those who make the promise. It is important to remember that the theme of this comparison originated from remarks first made about John. As a result, the Lord's example rebuked their, the Pharisees, hesitation of unbelief and their resulting need to be silent. But just as we have indicated elsewhere, it is appropriate to remember here also that although an underlying principle for present events is sometimes lacking in the context, an image of the future may be explained without losing any of the clarity of what is prefigured. The first son is the people who came from the Pharisees, who have been admonished to the present day by God through the prophecy of John so that they might obey his commandments. This people, arrogant and disobedient, were rebellious according to the present text. Possessing assurance in the law, they rejected the need for the repentance of their sins because they gloried in the noble prerogative from Abraham. After the resurrection of the Lord, which followed his miraculous works, they repented and believed in the time of the apostles. They stopped relying on their deeds for a commitment to the gospel's mission. In repentance, they confessed the sin of their former arrogance. The younger son is represented by the crowd of publicans and sinners, those who remain in the previous condition of sin. Through John, they are commanded to wait for the salvation of Christ and to believe after being baptized by John. When the Lord says that they had promised to go and did not do so, he shows that the crowd had not yet believed in John. In other words, the Lord indicates that they did not go because they were not able to accept the teaching of the gospel through the apostles until after the Passion. The mysteries of human salvation had to be accomplished. To be sure, the Lord does not say that they did not want to go, but that they did not go. The issue goes beyond the fault of unbelief because the difficulty did not lie in their actions. It is not that the younger son did not want to go straight away to the work to which he was ordered, but because he was not able to go. In this situation, we see how a necessary delay is shown without incriminating one's will. In the response of the Pharisees, there is a certain prophetic mandate. They admit it against their own will 
that the son complied with his father's will. In other words, the younger son professed obedience, although he did not then bring it to realization because faith alone justifies. For this reason, publicans and prostitutes will be first in the kingdom of heaven. Because they believed John, they were baptized for the remission of sins. They confessed Christ's advent. They offered praise for his healing works. They received the sacrament of his passion, and they acknowledged the power of his resurrection. Nonetheless, the chief priests and the Pharisees, seeing these things, despised them. They were not justified by faith, nor did they return through repentance to salvation. This is why their fruit will always be withered under the curse prefigured in the fig tree. St. Hilary of Poitiers, pray for us. Let us pray. O God, who manifest your almighty power above all by pardoning and showing mercy, bestow, we pray, your grace abundantly upon us and make those hastening to attain your promises heirs to the treasures of heaven. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and announce the Gospel of the Lord. <laughs>